of Acts chapter 2. We, uh, we have been working our way through the, the sermon of Peter in Acts chapter 2, and it's, uh, it's taken us a while, <laughs> but we're getting there. We've been kind of uh, working our way through a little at a time, and, and it really begins by him saying, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he kind of actually explains that as he goes along. So, so we're going we're gonna to see some of that today. We're, what we're also going to see today is that there is some tension in the Bible. There always is. There's some tension in the Bible about what God does and what we do. Now, I want to say right up front, I'm not telling you you have to earn your salvation. In fact, working towards your salvation actually cheapens what Jesus did on the cross. Because if, 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 we, if we look at what happened to Jesus, his trial, his beating, his whipping, his crucifixion, we can't say, well, that was good, but we need to add to that. And that's what we do when we're trying to work our way to salvation. So I want you to understand as we get started here that when I say that there's stuff we need to do, I'm not talking about works in order to earn salvation. But even in the statement, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, there's a condition there, isn't there? You have to call upon the Lord to be saved. So, so I, I'm talking about those conditions this morning, and we're going to see them as we study our way through. So, so Acts chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 36 and go through 41. This is right at the end of Peter's sermon. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were pierced to their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words he testified and strongly urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. So, again, since we have been kind of working our way through this, let's talk about the context first. Because we've, we've spent several weeks working our way through the, uh, the, the Sermon of Peter. And so, let's remind our, ourselves, or let me remind you, where we are. First of all, this crowd that Peter is talking to, they have likely seen the trial and beating and whipping and crucifixion of Jesus because they're all in Jerusalem for the festival season from Passover to Pentecost and first fruits. So they're in, in Jerusalem for these, these uh, festivals and feasts. You got Passover and the Feast of, of uh, Unleavened Bread and the Feast of Weeks and all of these pa that put Jewish people in Jerusalem. So they, these people have literally seen this happen. And they have seen the risen Christ because in, in the first chapter it tells us that he ran around there for 40 days, in and out of their lives for 40 days. 
So these people that Peter is talking to have seen Jesus die and have seen the risen Jesus. Important to know. Important also to know that this crowd is Jewish. And we'll see how that, that works as we continue. We'll see that this, these Jewish people uh, have, have seen and heard everything that's happened here. Because this crowd, remember, has been here at Pentecost. This day is Pentecost. Yes, I know, we're still on the day of Pentecost. We have been for weeks. But we're still on the day of Pentecost, and these people have seen and heard and experienced the Holy Spirit coming and coming upon everyone there, every believer there. They have seen it. They've heard the sound of the rushing wind. They've seen the tongues like flame. They've heard and witnessed these, these disciples talking in their language, even though they didn't know their language. They've seen and heard all of this. And so they're firsthand witnesses to all of this. And so Peter gives them no excuse, does he? In his sermon, he says, you guys did this. You've seen it. You've heard it. You've witnessed it. You've experienced it. And you did it. You crucified him. He even says that in this passage we're at today. This, this Jesus whom you crucified. So he's, t- he's given them no excuse, and yet he has told them that this is all the plan of God, that it was God's plan from the beginning. And he proved that by showing them Joel and Psalm 16 and Psalm 110 and Psalm 132. He showed them that this was God's plan all along. So... While they, while they don't have an excuse for not understanding Jesus is the Messiah, they do have an excuse for crucifying him because God, this was the plan of God. And so he's talked about all of that, and he's and he showed them that, I said last week, the Jewish idea of a Messiah, they were confused about a suffering, the suffering servant of Isaiah and the king of kings that would come from the line of David. And so Peter The fisherman teaches all of these theologians, it's one guy, and that guy is Jesus. And so he's shown them that from, from again, from from 2 Samuel 7, from Psalm 16, Psalm 110, Psalm 132. He's shown them this is the Messiah. And so they've heard this now. They have heard that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the long-awaited one. And they killed him. And so what's their reaction? It says they're pierced to the heart. Pierced to the heart. That's an interesting phrase. It's actually only used here in the entire New Testament. And it means experience acute emotional distress, concern, and regret. They are pierced to the heart. There was a theologian that said, you cannot repent what you have not confessed, and you cannot confess what you have not grieved. I think there's something here that we miss. We get caught up in the ABCs of of salvation, right? We admit, believe, confess. We, we, We just get caught up there. What we miss in all of that is we need to grieve our sin. We need to get to the point where we understand 
that our sin is, has damaged our relationship with God, with others, and it has damaged us and others. We need to get to this point of remorse because confession doesn't happen unless this happens, unless true confession is feeling this remorse and regret and knowing that something needs to change. That's grieving your sin. If your confession sounds like, uh, well, God, I did that, and I did that, and I did that, you know, because in, in your mind you're thinking, well, that's sin, but it's not that bad of a sin, you know, it's not one of the added, bad, really bad ones, then you haven't grieved your sin. We must get to the point, and I think every Christian gets to the point where we understand that we are separated from God because of what we have chosen to do, our sin. We grieve our sin. Then we have true confession. Then when we confess our sin, we, we are actually saying, God, I know I did this, and I don't know why I did this, but please forgive me. We, we, we are at the point of true remorse and regret. They got there. They heard all of this that Peter said, and they grieved their sin. They were pierced to the heart. You know that I said only in the New Testament, this one place, this word is only used in the New Testament, this one place in Acts. There are some cognate forms of this, this word, that are used, and, and it's used in Romans, and in Romans, Paul is talking about a, a spirit of stupor where their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear. So, so the Im implication here is when they're pierced to their heart, their eyes are open, their ears are open. They suddenly are confronted with what their sin has done. We need to get to that place because when we get to that place, we truly confess. And then we're ready for repentance. And repentance is really the, uh, the, the, the focus of the verse. Repent. How many times do you think that's said in the Bible? Repent. All of the, all of the, uh, the prophets of the Old Testament, what was their message? Repent. What did John the Baptist say? Repent. What does Peter say? Repent. What is repentance? What does it even mean? It doesn't mean to feel sorry. It doesn't mean that, that you're stuck in the remorse side or the regret side. To repent means a change. It means a 180-degree change. It means going from sin to God. It's a complete change. In fact, the word is used in the New Testament in particular so much that it became a, a way of showing a complete life change. A life that is changed happens with repentance. So we grieve our sin, which leads us to true confession, which leads us to true repentance. I no longer want to be the guy that does that. That's what repentance really is. It's, uh, this is something, honestly, that AA and NA have down pat that, that Christians don't get as well. And that is, you know, in AA and NA, you don't become somebody, you don't just stop drinking. You become a non-drinker. You become someone who doesn't do that anymore. That's what repentance is about. Repentance is a, a complete change of heart, a complete change of life, a complete change of direction. And so it is 
going from the guy who does this to the guy who is God. It's, it's leaning on our identity in Christ. It says again and again in the Bible that we are crucified with Christ. And it's no longer us who lives, but Christ who lives in us. And we looked at the Holy Spirit as literally the Spirit of Christ. And so we are new. We're a new creation. So we don't live like the, our old creation used to. We don't just try and stop sinning. Christianity has to be about so much more than trying to stop sinning. It's about new life in Christ. It's about becoming someone new. That's what repentance does. And, and that's the most important point of what Peter has to say. And then it says, be baptized in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a couple of things I want to point out about the way that's said in verse 38. Because it says, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, we take, we take that for and think, well, we're not forgiven until we're baptized. But that's not how it's meant. The, uh, the little Greek word that's used here, it's ice, if you're, if you're interested. And it's it's used as a causative. In other words, um, this causes that. We use it that way. We, we use the word for that way in, in English as well. We, uh, we say, I work for money. Causative. I don't get the money unless I work. So there, there's causative. But we also use it in the, in the sense of because of or, or on account of. For instance, we'll say we want to eat right for our health. Now, it's not a direct cause, but it's, it's on account of our health. We want to keep our health in mind so we eat well. Or I want to, I want to be the, the right man. I want to be a man of God for my family. And that, that for means on account of or because of my family. That's how it's used here. Forgiveness isn't tied to baptism. It is tied to repentance. Repent and you're forgiven. Baptism is about showing the world what's happened. It's about showing the world that you have grieved your sin, confessed your sin, and, and have gone, gone to Christ in repentance. Baptism is, is about that. We saw uh, back in, in chapter 1, and in, in the first part of chapter 2, that we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that word baptized means immersed. It means completely immersed. So every fiber of our being is affected by the Holy Spirit. That's baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so what we practice here is, is baptism by immersion in water. Now, I said it was important that, that there was a Jewish audience here the Jewish people practiced baptism also. If you came as a non-Jew to become a Jew, you were baptized. And they did that in the pools that were around the temple. And they did that by immersing you in the water. What they were showing is that you are dead to your non-Jew life and alive to your Jewish life. Exactly what we do right there. We say we're dead to our old life and alive to new life in Christ. 
That's why we, we practice baptism the way we do. But don't, don't think that forgiveness is tied to baptism. Forgiveness happens before baptism. The Holy Spirit happens before baptism. The, the, the baptism is strictly telling the world. It is telling all of the people that sit out here, I am accountable to you because I am new in Christ. I am dead to my old life, buried in the likeness of his death, and risen to new life in Christ. I am accountable to you because you have seen, you have witnessed my witness saying, this has happened in my heart. This has happened in my life. That's what baptism is about. And that's what Peter is talking about here. And then he says, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, once again, we can't tie the gift of the Holy Spirit to baptism because the gift of the Holy Spirit comes when we come to Christ. When we have gone through repentance, then we have forgiveness of sin and we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Peter is talking to a bunch of Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. And he says, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So the, the, the Holy Spirit's not tied to the baptism either. The Holy Spirit comes when we have repented and accepted the forgiveness of Christ. Then we are given the Holy Spirit. And, and we, don't, we tend today not to make a big deal out of that part. I think we, that's a really big deal. Have you seen the power that's in the first part of this chapter? Have you seen the, the power that the Holy Spirit comes with in Acts chapter 2? The sound of rushing winds and tongues like flames and, 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 and uh, speaking in different languages. And this, this incredible power is yours as a believer in Christ. I have said it every week since we started the Acts study, and I will probably say it every week for the Acts study. There is no reason for a Christian to live a powerless life because you have the, the, the very power of God, the very power of Christ within you as a believer in Christ. The very power of Christ within you. Now, then he also talks about this corrupt generation. Those, that, that actually sounds like words from the headlines today, <laughs> doesn't it? It actually, I think we can relate to this. Now, I want you to, I mean, these people that he's talking to, he literally told them that you crucified, this Jesus that you crucified. He's telling them they are the ones that killed the Messiah, and so that's why he calls them a corrupt generation. I have news for you. Our generation, our time, kills the Messiah and the message of the Messiah every day. Every day. So I, I look at this and I see hope. Honestly, I see hope because if Peter thought that generation was bad, that means there's hope for our generation. If this generation can be saved, and they are, according to verse 41, then our generation can be saved also. As corrupt as we've become, our generation can be saved. 
If that generation is not beyond salvation, ours isn't either. So what are the main points here? Well, Peter, as I said at the beginning, Peter says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And, and then he kind of explains how that works. He explains how that works in the sense of, of first, we're, we grieve our sin. We are pierced to the heart with our sin. We understand, we come to an understanding, we come to the place where we know that without a Savior, we're doomed. We need to come to that place. We, we need that in order to truly confess, in order to truly repent. We need to come to that place. We need to grieve our sin. As the theologian said, we cannot repent what we haven't confessed, and we cannot confess what we haven't grieved. Because true confession only happens when we understand the grieve of our sin. So we grieve our sin, and we have true confession. Then we repent. And again, repent is about change. It is about turning from sin to God. It isn't feeling sorry. It isn't asking for forgiveness. It is making a commitment that you are going to turn from sin to God. And then we have baptism. Baptism shows everyone here, everyone that comes, you, you, that you are holding yourself accountable to them. My old life is dead, and I am, new, I, I am risen to new life, and I want all of you to hold me accountable to that. That's what baptism really is. And the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. God does not give us a list of don't do's. We reduce Christianity to a list of stuff we're not supposed to do. Christianity should be about the power we have in the, in the Holy Spirit within us. It should be about Christ and the power of Christ within us. That's what Christianity should be. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. Now, I just, I just want to mention, I know I mentioned it uh, a little while back, a, a few sermons ago, in, in Peter's sermon. But verse 41 says that 3,000 people were added to their number. Do you remember where 3,000 comes from? From the Exodus. It comes from the Exodus. Because when, they, when, when Moses comes down the mountain and they have made the golden calf, God tells Moses, send the Levites out and have them slay everyone who, who uh, worshipped the golden calf. And, and in Exodus 32, it tells us that the, the Levites slayed 3,000 people. On the first Pentecost, the day the law came down, 3,000 were killed. On this Pentecost, the first, the birth of the church, the Holy Spirit comes and 3,000 are saved. God wants us to understand that he has worked this way all along. The only thing new here is the church. That's something that somehow the prophets didn't see coming. They didn't understand the church. They didn't see it coming. They didn't see people gathered. They understood people gathered, but they didn't see the power that the church has. 
the gathered, assembled people of God. That's us. That's what the Holy Spirit brought. That's what it birthed in the world. Have you grieved your sin and confessed it? Have you repented and accepted the forgiveness of Christ? If you have not, today can be the day. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads. Because today can be the day. You can today grieve your sin. Do you feel remorse for the things in your life that you've done and said and thought that you know are sin? That's grieving your sin. Have you confessed it? Truly confessed? God, I, I know this is sin. And I confess to you that Have you repented? I turn from that sin to Jesus who died to pay the price for my sin. Have you accepted the forgiveness and been empowered by the Spirit? Today, I accept that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. And I ask for the power of the Spirit to live according to your word. If you prayed that for the first time this morning, you need to let somebody know. Elbow your neighbor and let them know. Come and let me know. Maybe this morning you know Christ, but you, as you look over the last week, you think I am living a powerless life. Will you right now commit to living in the Spirit of God that's within you, the Spirit of Christ within you? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder that we need not live a powerless life, that we can live in the power you have given us. Keep us mindful of the power we have. Keep us mindful of grieving our sin and confessing it and repenting from it, of our identity in Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.